All right. I think there's a gift basket here. There's a copy of Doc, Dr. Seuss's Oh, the Places You Will Go in there. That'll be perfect. And another book. Great. Thanks, guys. You're dismissed. Don, come on up. This is Dr. Don Payne. He's going to teach this morning. Um, and actually, Don and I have a very interesting mutual uh, ground. We, were, we went to Tennessee Temple, which is, as Don refers to, the redneck Bob Jones in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And actually, we were in a choir together, the Singing Men of Temple, which is fascinating. Don was in seminary. I was a lowly undergraduate and uh, making my way through. So we thought maybe we'd try to compete with this choir. What do you think? We should. Yeah, I don't think yeah. so. No, we're done. Yeah. But uh, Don is going to speak with us this morning. He actually is a professor down at Denver Seminary, and we're so glad that you can join us. Thanks, Thanks Mark. Yeah, it's good to see you folks again. Well, I'll do without that. And it's great to have a choir from Texas. I grew up on the other side of the, that glorious state at the end of the world. Literally, the end of the world in Odessa. <laughs> I like to refer to it as the garden center of the universe, if you know anything about the Permian Basin. Well, it is, uh, it is great to be with you folks, and thanks for your ministry to us. Many thanks. Oh, thanks. Thanks to you, too. Um, I think the greatest gift that the world has ever given to men, and I mean males, is GPS and Google Maps. <laughs> because, yeah, because no longer do I get lost, and more importantly, no longer do I have to lie about not being lost. Um, greatest gift ever. And I'm still waiting for a GPS to be developed for the grocery store. Um, that's going to save me a lot of time because... Uh, this stopping and asking for help, this feeling helpless thing, uh, guys, you know, you know what that's like, don't you? Uh, nobody likes to feel helpless, do they? Nobody likes to feel ignorant, no matter, uh, even if, you know, sometimes people will use that to manipulate or use that to try to, uh, to, to get things they want. Truthfully, nobody really likes to feel helpless or ignorant. That's a, that's a vulnerable place to be. And, and particularly when it comes to knowing God. I mean, really, knowing God, it's easy to think that, ah, yeah, I, I know a lot about God, or I think I've had some kind of a religious experience, some kind of a spiritual tuning in my life, but that's really not the same thing as knowing God. And one of the things the Scripture makes clear to us over and over is that nobody really knows God unless they start from that place of helplessness and ignorance. None of us like that, do we? Nobody likes to feel helpless and ignorant. Uh, yet that's the only place really to start when we can get somewhere. Uh, several years ago, I saw an interview with uh, uh, Wynton Marcellus, the famous Grammy Award-winning trumpeter. And, uh, you know, Marcellus has been interviewed lots and lots of times. Many of you have probably seen him on, in his interviews and his performances. Magnificent performer. But in this one interview, Marcellus was asked uh, about many of the students he works with. And he, he conducts a lot of master classes uh, for horn players and uh, works with many of the most talented horn players in the country, many at Juilliard, uh, just incredibly talented people. And he was asked what it was like to work with many of these uber-talented trumpet players. And Marcellus, in a rare moment of frustration, 
kind of vented a little bit, and he said sometimes it's almost impossible to work with them because they think they know too much. All their lives, they've been told how great they are, and I can't do anything with them because they know too much or think they do. And that was a little bit biting, a little bit indicting to me because how often am I like that with relationship to God? How often do I, do I think I know enough that it keeps me from actually knowing God? Well, you folks, in the last uh, few weeks over the summer, if you've been part of this series, you've been uh, exploring what the Scriptures say about the Holy Spirit. And as I, I looked at some of the previous titles, it's some great messages that many of you have enjoyed. The, this Holy Spirit is the, the powerful God who preserves life, the just God who brings peace, the God who refreshes and cleanses us. The generous God who enables the future. The compassionate God who enables us to serve. He's emotional and unites us in worship. But all of these vignettes, all of these portraits of the Holy Spirit, this what we, what we call the third person of our triune God, all of these vignettes come to a point. They come to a head in John chapter 15, John's gospel. If you've got a copy of the scriptures, I'd invite you to turn there. The 15th chapter of John's gospel. About to drink somebody else's water. 15th chapter of John's Gospel. And uh, if you've got, uh, got that handy, follow along while I read. And if you don't, see if you can uh, follow along with somebody close to you. Begin in verse 26 of chapter 15, right at the end of that chapter, where Jesus says, When the Advocate, speaking of the Holy Spirit, when he comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me, and you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. And all this I've told you so that you will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the hour is coming when those who kill you will think they are offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I have told you this so that when their hour comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. I did not tell you this from the beginning because I was with you, but now I'm going to him who sent me. And none of you asks me, where are you going? Rather, you're filled with grief because I said these things. But very truly I say to you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin because people do not believe in me about righteousness, because I'm going to the Father, where you can see me no longer, and about judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear, but when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own, but he will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me, because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine, and that is why I said that the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. Well, Jesus in, uh, in this chapter is, is preparing his disciples for his, uh, his, his imminent departure. He knows what's coming, and if you scroll back just a little ways in John's Gospel, you find that in, in uh, chapter 12, Jesus predicts his own death. Uh, disciples don't know what to do with that. In chapter 13, he sets a model of servanthood for them by washing their feet, which was a, a culturally uh, low bar, very disgusting uh, task that was reserved only for the lowest servants. 
In chapter 14, he begins to comfort his disciples, and he, and he promises them uh, that, he's, that he's going to prepare a place for them. He's not going to leave them alone, and he clarifies to them in this very stark way that he alone is what he calls the way, the truth, the life. And in this really poignant conversation he has with one of his disciples, Philip, he says, essentially, when you're dealing with me, you're dealing with the Father. Some of you will recall that in verses 8 and 9 of chapter 14, uh, Philip says to him, Master, when are you going to show us the Father? And Jesus, apparently in some level of frustration, says to him, Philip, how long do I have to be with you before you get it? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. When you're dealing with me, Jesus says, you're dealing with God. You're not dealing with merely an emissary or an ambassador. You've got the full meal deal right here. Okay? Uh, and so this, the high point of all of this is then in chapter 15 when he promises that in, in his departure he's going to send to them the Holy Spirit. And he uses very personal language. When he comes, this is what he will do. Not it, not a force, but when he comes, this is what he will do. And so the Spirit is the one, here's how, G, how Jesus lays that out, the Spirit is the one who's going to shine the spotlight on Jesus. So everything we've seen in Scripture up until this point about what the Holy Spirit does culminates at this one focal point where we see in those last two verses of chapter 15 that the Spirit allows us to see Jesus for who He really is. And it takes the Spirit for any of us to see Jesus for who He really is. We can project all kinds of uh, even uh, admirable notions onto Jesus, can't we? I mean, you know, great teacher... Good guy, moral model, uh, maybe a you know kind of a prophetic one who sticks it to the man of his time. We can project all kinds of really noble notions on Jesus and still miss who Jesus really, really is. Now it's not that the Holy Spirit creates some kind of fantasy in our minds, but he allows us to see what is really there. Have any of you ever been to the mall and seen one of these? Um, uh, I think they call it a magic eye poster that has a picture embedded within a picture and and at first you look at it and you can see one fairly easy image but they tell you there's something deeper embedded in this picture but you have to keep looking at it and you have to get the right focal point before you can see it now I confess I've spent a lot of time in front of those posters and I don't think I've ever seen it but I'm trusting that you know those beside me who say oh I get it I get it I see it Okay, <laughs> but, in, but in a sense, you know, there, is a, there is a picture embedded within that picture. They're not making things up. It's there, but you've got to find that right focal point. And what Jesus tells us is that it is essential that the Holy Spirit get our vision calibrated so that we can see who Jesus is as the Son of God, as the Messiah, as the way, as the truth, as the life. We can't see that on our own. No, no matter how, uh, how much religious information, no matter how much spiritual insight we think we have, we can't see that on our own. And, of course, that promise will, was fulfilled that the Spirit would, would come. That was fulfilled at Pentecost. If you know the story in Acts, the second chapter, when the Holy Spirit comes in dramatic fashion on the apostles, and these rough-hewn apostles find themselves, to their own surprise as well as everybody else's, they find themselves talking about Jesus to this massive crowd that's gathered for the festival of Pentecost. 
people from different language groups, all of Jewish ancestry, but by that time of different language groups. And the apostles stand up, and they begin to talk about Jesus, and these people of different language groups hear their message in their own groups, in their own language. That's pretty stunning. Uh, I've often thought how cool that would be. I've always wanted to speak in Portuguese or Swahili. No. But the coolest thing would be to speak in Portuguese or Swahili and not even know I was doing it. I mean, that'd be the greatest day ever, right? But, but that's essentially what happened when the Holy Spirit came on, on the apostles in Acts chapter 2, and they announced that Jesus, the one who had been crucified, was now, in fact, literally risen. And as the risen one, he is now Lord, and he's the one who claims your allegiance. And some of the people said, we're, we're, we're spent, what do we do? Others said, it's only, they're drunk. And Peter does not play the, well, it's noon somewhere card. <laughs> he says, it's only nine in the morning. We are not drunk. But folks, this is what we're here to tell you, that this man, Jesus, whom you crucified, is now Messiah. He is Lord. And it takes the Holy Spirit for any of us, whether it's in that dramatic fashion or whether it's in any kind of a subtle, slow fashion, it takes the Holy Spirit to help any of us see Jesus for who he really is. But as, as Jesus moves through chapter 16 and, and says more about the Holy Spirit, we see that he makes that point even more clearly because it takes the Holy Spirit to, to strengthen us to be stable when it's not easy. He tells him, you will endure persecution. Don't think you're any better than your master. If they've persecuted me, if they've tried to kill me, they will do the same to you. Now, most of us here, I expect, have not had to endure that kind of thing, and uh, hopefully we won't. But yet, anybody who follows Jesus Christ knows that there are all kinds of crosswinds, right, that will, that will try to blow us off course. It's not, it's not the journey that everybody in the public will affirm and cheerlead for you when you decide to follow Jesus. It's not the way it is. And so Jesus says that not only do you need the Holy Spirit to show you to clarify for you who Jesus really is, but you're going to need the Holy Spirit to keep you stable on that journey because all kinds of things are going to tempt you to bail. All kinds of crosswinds are going to try to blow you off course. Well, he pushes it even further. It takes the Holy Spirit to make Jesus known to us so that we see really and truly why we need him. And so he talks about when the Spirit comes, the Spirit's going to convict or, or convince or expose the world of its sin, of righteousness, and judgment. Now, the way Jesus says that is a little strange to us, even in our English translations. But what he's getting at is this, that when the Holy Spirit comes, the Holy Spirit's going to show all kinds of people what it really means to need to be forgiven. He's going to expose the fact that it is there's moral responsibility. It's sin to reject Jesus. Now, at first blush, we can think, well, why would that be a moral issue, just to, to not get it about Jesus? But what Jesus is insisting here is that to reject the, the one who offers forgiveness, to reject the one who claims to be Lord, that is ultimately a very serious issue. That's not merely an intellectual decision. And of course, we can see through the Gospels that those who opposed Jesus, those who relentlessly objected him, were always entrenched in their own self-righteousness, always entrenched in their, their refusal to admit their need for a Savior, their need for forgiveness. 
And so he, he says the Spirit's also going to convince or expose the world about this issue of righteousness. This can be read in a couple of different ways. It, the Spirit's going to expose to the world the fact that Jesus, in fact, is the righteous one. Not somebody else. Jesus is the righteous one. But he's also going to expose the fact that you know, every one of us, no matter how morally refined or well-socialized or well-educated or successful or accomplished we may be, none of that counts. I mean, none of that counts ultimately. We, we, all, we all come to God with nothing in our hand, no cards to play. We're, we're bankrupt. And for those of us who've, who've had the benefits of a lot of education and, and been blessed with various kinds of success and accomplishments, and, and, and we're just really nice, enjoyable people. I mean, who's, who's a nice person? Enjoy, just, are you an enjoyable person? Okay. Well, there are a few of you are. Right? The rest of you are really, really humble. And the rest of you are liars. But, you know, despite all of those, those really good assets, those can be very deceptive, can't they? Because they can, they can subtly trick us into thinking that, I, I got a few cards to play with God. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. He, he exposes the fact that no matter what we've accomplished, no matter what we know, no matter how nice and great we are in many respects, nobody's got any cards to play. Nobody's got any righteousness. He's going to expose a third thing, Jesus says. The Spirit's going to expose the fact that ultimately the prince of this world will be judged. Now, what's that all that about? The prince of this world will be judged. Well, you and I all know that if we pay attention to what's going on in our world, there are lots of other uh, people who will claim to have the answer for our lives. Lots of other people who will claim to have the power that we need to change the world or to make the world what it ought to be. There are lots of ideologies that claim our allegiance. And even if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you know that those can be really appealing sometimes, don't they? Uh, whether it's uh, having a little more, whether it's knowing a little more, whether it's uh, uh, adopting a particular ideology, whether it's joining a particular party, Whatever it is, those things are very appealing. And every one of those, quote, those small G gods offers something to us that will be the, the catalyst to make life work for us. Whatever those gods are that present themselves to us, and there are many of them, Jesus says that the Holy Spirit is going to expose every one of them. And ultimately, the prince of this world who is behind all of that will be judged, will be exposed. What all that tells us, friends, is don't buy it. Don't buy it. Have a, have a no-sale sign in your hip pocket. And when that stuff comes your way, no sale. Not buying. Yeah, it looks good. looks sweet. A lot of days I'd love to have me some of that, but no sale. And it takes the Holy Spirit to expose all that for what it really is. It takes the Holy Spirit to show us Jesus Christ as the only Lord. The way, the truth, the life. Now, even, you know, when we, when we see Jesus for who he is, when we get it, when we own it, when we accept it, that puts us on that path toward what Scripture calls life. I mean, real life, eternal life. The kind of life that God made us for. 
Not just a pie in the sky, by and by life, but real life. The kind of life where we know what it means to love and to be loved, to forgive and to be forgiven. The kind of life where life has meaning and significance and value, even if and when it's very hard. That's what we're made for. The kind of life that allows us to, to enjoy things like this and know that there's somebody behind this. It's not all random. It's not just synapses in our brain that stimulate a pleasurable sensation. But there's somebody, a giver, a generous giver behind all this. And the capacity to, to revel in that and to delight in that and to be grateful for that. That's, that's what we're made for, friends. That's life. But you know, even when we set off down that path, because the Holy Spirit has, has clarified Jesus for us, there's a lot of work to do, uh, a lot of battles to fight, a lot of questions to be answered, a lot of struggles to overcome, a lot of challenges to face. And that's where at that, uh, the end of the text we read, verses 13 to 15, Jesus says, uh, the Holy Spirit, when he comes, will lead you into all truth. Because only the Holy Spirit can not only show us Jesus for who he is, but can help us know what it means to follow him. Day after day, week after week, year after year. Through sometimes really, really disorienting, disfiguring, debilitating challenges. Only the Holy Spirit can help us do that. You know, it's as if the Holy Spirit's primary role is as a spotlight shining away from himself and shining on Jesus. And once the Holy Spirit illumines Jesus, we know that God has spoken. Once the Holy Spirit shines that spotlight on Jesus, we see him for who he is. Once the Holy Spirit shines that spotlight on Jesus, we can get it and we can join him, we can stand at his side, but then that spotlight turns out in front of the two of us. As you and I and Jesus are, are there, we're going to walk together. We're going to journey together, but this path is going to be pretty turbulent. There's going to be stuff that we think will undo us. There will be questions we think we cannot answer. There will be challenges we, every one of us, are convinced we cannot face. I don't know if you've had that experience, but I have certainly had days where I have gotten out of bed and thought to myself, I don't know if I can do this one more day. Anybody ever had that one of those mornings? Yeah, with Jesus at our side, that does not give us a, a get-out-of-jail-free card to get away from all those days. What it does is the Holy Spirit then turns that spotlight out in front, on the road in front of us. It begins to give us guidance and give us wisdom, not, not to magically dissipate all the problems, but it gives us that guidance to know how to engage them as Jesus would. You know, every single one of us are going to face it. Every single one of us face that every single day because we find challenges to what does it mean to really love when I don't want to? What does it mean to forgive a person when they don't even want to be forgiven or think they need it? What does it mean to work hard toward the restoration of a broken relationship for which I think there is no hope? What does it mean to lean into some of those intractable ethical dilemmas that we find in our places of work so often? What does it mean to deal with a relationship with a child or a parent or a friend who has turned or turned on us and we don't know what to do? 
Well, this promise that the Spirit is going to lead us into all truth does not give us the promise that we're just going to find all the magic answers in a magic box. No, it's not a hotline to heaven. This is what to do. But it does gradually and slowly begin to lighten that path a few feet in front of us. So that even if a certain outcome's not guaranteed, we know what it means to love again. We know what it means to live with hope. We know what it means to not have our circumstances have the final word on our lives. Only the Spirit of God can do that. Of course, when, uh, when Jesus says the Spirit will come and lead you into all truth, at that point, the rest of the New Testament had not even been written when Jesus said those words. And so we, we certainly find Paul doing that as, as uh, he wrote many of his letters in the, the decades after Jesus uttered those words. And he, and he tells us what it means to live by grace and by faith, not have to scratch and claw and earn our way into God's favor. We find that laid out in a real definitive way through the rest of the New Testament. But then, even for the rest of history, we have that Holy Spirit's promise that he's going to shine that spotlight on the road in front of us and help us figure out what it means to follow Jesus faithfully as the way, as the truth, as the life, even when we fall down often, even when a lot of our best efforts don't give a return on investment. But we still know life. We know what it means to have the living God take hold of our lives and undergird our lives and to give purpose to our lives and to give hope to our lives even when we've endured irreversible losses. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. That's a central part of his role. This uh, kind of makes the role of the Holy Spirit a, a little odd, doesn't it? Because the role of the Holy Spirit is never to draw attention to himself. The role of the Holy Spirit is always to illuminate, to amplify, and to validate the one who alone can give us life when we trust him. When we realize that regardless of what else we have, what else we enjoy, what else we've accomplished, we got no cards to play. Only Jesus Christ can give us life. That's the Spirit's primary role, to to show that for its truth, to help us live into that, to help us stay true to that, help us stay on that path when all kinds of crosswinds buffet us. It's the Holy Spirit's role to help us grow into the words that we sing. I love the uh, song we sang earlier, that, that old hymn about our sin being nailed to the cross. It's well with my soul. You know, we spend the rest of our lives following Jesus, figuring out what it really means to have our sin nailed to the cross. We sing a lot of things. If you're a, a churchgoer, you sing a lot of things that you might not even fully understand. But that's what the Spirit does. He pulls us and pulls us and draws us into all truth. We grow into those words we confess. We grow into those words we sing. We'll sing some words We'll say some words, we'll confess some words, we'll make some statements that year after year, one year, we're kind of ra one random Sunday morning, we say, I get it. <laughs> That's what that means. That's what the Holy Spirit does. How do you see Jesus? Let me put that question to you. How do you see Jesus? Good guy? The prophet who stuck it to the man? Great moral teacher? Or the Son of God? 
How do you see yourself? Good person? Accomplished? Enjoyable? Enjoying life? Have any cards to play? Is that how each of us see ourselves? That's that primary role of the Holy Spirit, (laughs) to show us who we really are, to show us who Jesus Christ really is, to pull us into that way, to shine a spotlight on that way so we can follow it faithfully home. There's no Christian life without the Holy Spirit. None of us get Jesus without the Holy Spirit. None of us get ourselves, really, without the Holy Spirit. But the good news, friends, is that our risen Lord has sent him. And he's here. And he's speaking to us. He's got that spotlight on Jesus. He's got that spotlight on the road. And the one simple call for every one of us is to look into that light and trust him. Trust him courageously. Trust him willingly. Let him do his work. And see what the adventure is that unfolds in front of us. That's the Spirit's work. Praise God. Yeah. Mark? The mirror of the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Don. As uh, the Spirit illuminates, gives us a reflection of Jesus, a reflection of ourselves, and then to shine the light in front of us. We have two opportunities for you now in worship to respond. It may be in, in direct response to the information and the maybe a light just went on for you, a eureka moment. Ha ha, that might have happened for you. Or maybe you say, boy, that was good confirmation. That was uh, encouragement that I need. And I still want to remember and I want to respond as I continue on this journey. I'm going to ask the choir to come on up. I'm going to ask the uh, ushers to come on down with the baskets. We're going to pass an offering. Uh, Thank you for your generosity as you help in the process of us putting together these worship opportunities all 12 weeks through the summer. Thank you for that. Your giving, whatever you would give, is a worship experience. That's the idea. It is not a uh, uh, payment or a a ticket or what have you. It's an opportunity for you to worship God. We promise you we use whatever you give for his kingdom and for his glory. Uh, We also have an opportunity as you're leaving, you might want to take advantage of. There's a couple little containers up at the top of the wall here. That is, it says community needs on it, and that all every single dime that puts in there, that is put in there, we use to meet the needs of specific people that come to us from the community that have specific needs. But as the uh, choir sings another wonderful song for us, thank you for your ministry today. We're going to pass this offering. Go ahead, and thank you.